Okay, we're ready. We're ready. Good morning, everybody. And uh, welcome to another wonderful day here on uh, Adventures with Sarah. Uh, this week, we are going to visit another destination. Last week, we visited Spain. And this week, we are going to be visiting uh, just about everybody's favorite destination, I would say, probably. Uh, we're going to be in Paris all week with my friend Trish Feaster. Bonjour, Trish. Bonjour, ça va? Ça va bien. <laughs> Et toi? <laughs> Ça va très bien, mais uh, it's time for coffee. Let me put, I can't, I can't tell when like Zoom, see, it feels like it disappears. It's magical. I know, my, it, my, it goes all the way to Paris. It comes back from Paris. I have no hands. So I have a hand Paris. with the background, but yeah, anyway. As we say in my house, a la temps pour le café. So <laughs> we enjoy speaking French with a really bad accent in my home. So it's fun. It makes us chuckle. Um, so the reason that we're covering Paris this uh, week, we're actually going to do a bunch of different things tomorrow. Trish and I are going to make crepes. Uh, we're going to make galettes and crepes. So we're going to mm -hmm. do both. So you'll learn how to make savory and sweet crepes tomorrow night. Uh, and then uh, you want to fill us in for the schedule for the rest of the week. Yeah. So we're actually going to be joined by some of our other colleagues, um, colleagues who live in Paris or have lived in Paris or live in France and just, you know, share the same kind of love that we do, but have different kinds of expertise. So on Wednesday, Ju our colleague Julian Brown is going to do a historical Paris deep dive with us. And uh, we'll tell you more about that later. And then on Thursday, we're going to be joined by Vero Coquille-Savoie. And some of you might know her from France with Vero. And also Nina Sefusasi, who is Danish, but lives in France. And so we're going to have that really fun chat um, with, with those sets of people on Wednesday and Thursday. And then on Friday, we're going to do a whole overview about the tour that we have planned in the City of Light. Yep. So Trish and I have been having fun in Paris together, which you're going to have to put these in, pictures into the slideshow uh, of us for, gosh, uh, 10 years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, at least. Yeah, it was maybe 10 years ago that we first met up in Paris and had a really fun uh, adventure together. And every time that we've met up, we've always had a lot of fun. So because of all the fun that she and I have had drinking a lot of rosé wine on the Shop de Mar, we decided hmm, it might be fun to bring other people here and show them how we have fun. Because I know when people go to Paris, sometimes they think, oh, the French are rude or Paris is intimidating or it's dirty or whatever. And that's just not the experience I've ever I've had the experience that I've had um, with you, at least, is we just have a great time and there's so many beautiful things to see. So that's what inspired this idea. Also, we are doing the Provence tour with Nina Sefuzati and the people that's sold out, but the people who are on that, all of them said that they would have liked us to have put a week-long Paris tour before it. So we do listen to requests. So we have put that before the Provence tour um, so that they can, people can do both if they want. So anyway, it's going to be a week in Paris in uh, June and it'll be both of us plus my kids. So it's going to be a party, don't you think? Yeah. Well, the only thing I'm kicking myself in the butt and the booty for is we didn't think of this sooner. I know. How did we not think of this? <laughs> I don't know. It seems so obvious to me that you and I would go hang out in Paris together. So yeah, yeah. yeah, but hey, you know what? Better late than never. And we're going to start now. And um, so my favorite thing, well, let me just, let me back up a little bit. Paris is an interesting destination for me because I hated it the first time I went. Did you know that? Actually, I did not know that. When, when did you go? 1985. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. You went I with your family. 
Yeah, I absolutely hated it. I was there for my 11th birthday. I was on the top of the Eiffel Tower for my 11th birthday and I cried because I hated it so much. Well, so when in 1985, my dad was a stockbroker and he was working on the London Stock Exchange. And so my uh, family came uh, over. My mom came to London like, uh, you know, a month before us. Then we, my sister and I, this is a long story. I don't want to take up all our time with it, but (laughs) it's a hilarious story because when I was 10, I hadn't even turned 11. My 16 year old sister and I were dropped off at the curb of LAX with our suitcases by our grandfather, who was like, bye, have fun in London. (laughs) Didn't check us in. Didn't, I mean, we didn't need like any kind of 1985. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Yeah. So two kids, whatever, uh, right in the back of a pickup truck without any seatbelts, take you over, drop you off at the curb and good luck. Exactly. Yes. So at 11, my very first plane ride, I had never been on a plane before. My very first plane ride was from LAX to London on TWA. Yeah. And so we get on the plane and they start, you know, as soon as the plane takes off, we get yelled at because I accidentally like hit the attendant button because I didn't know what that was. But anyway, so this is our very first family trip. And we did, it's very much like National Lampoon's vacation, like it's almost the same itinerary, to be honest. It really was. And my dad certainly would like put on lederhosen and slap dance. That's totally, you guys know my dad, that's something my dad would do. So you can imagine, but we get to Paris on the train, no reservations back in those days. You just didn't do that. When you get off the train, you'd go and find a hotel. So my dad did the thing he did everywhere else, get off the train, go to the desk where it had like the hotel bookings and he got a hotel near Place Pigalle, (laughs) which it has a, a reputation in yeah, 85 in 1985 <laughs> i mean now place pigal you go and you laugh and you see the moulin rouge and you're like oh this used to be where there were brothels but now it's just right. touristic 1985 it was and serious sex, and many sex shops and the erotic museum yes but back then it wasn't cute <laughs> now it's cute it's like oh sex cute but back then in 1985 it was the red light district and it was yeah. actually scary and so we were staying over a sex shop near Place Pigalle that was my experience in Paris I got pickpocketed by a oh. group of little kids because there were roving bands of kid like you know look like Oliver Twist you know groups of kids running around I got pickpocketed by a band of kids attacked and they didn't get anything I was 11 I didn't have anything in my bag but Hated it. I ate pizza. That's what. I, that's the meal I remember eating there, and it was the worst pizza I'd ever had in my life. So, this is all just to, to say that. Well, in 1985, I guess you can't really, you can't really talk about that in the same way that you would talk about Paris now, right? Because that was before Absolutely the projects, right? That was before right. they renovated the city. So it was. I remember Paris being filthy, like dog poop on the sidewalk. The buildings were all black. It was ugly and it was gross and like London was much nicer in comparison in my memory so anyway Mm -hmm. this is my introduction to Paris right so why did I change my opinion well Paris is very different now and also having been a guide and having to learn the city it changes your opinion doesn't it once you have to learn a city Mm -hmm. so anyway that's my story that's my first time I ever went to Paris you tell me about your first time ever going to Paris the very first time I went to Paris, I was an adult and I had already been teaching and I decided with another colleague of mine to do a Europe trip with our students. So that was already daunting enough as it, as it was. 
um, and then never having been to Europe at all. But, you know, I had a lot of anxiety about this. Uh, but the first place that we went to was, in fact, Paris. And I still think this is probably true. If we had gone to Rome first or Barcelona first or Madrid first or whatever, I think that my heart would have been taken by those cities. Like that would, it was like love at first sight. And that, that I was going to be, I was young and impressionable and my first big major trip and all this excitement because of my students and everything. Um, so it would have been any of those places, but it was Paris. But it wasn't just because it was this romanticized notion of Paris. Everything about that city, when I go there from the moment the first, the first time I ever went there to now, every time I go back, there is a sensation for me that my soul is at home. And for me, that is not an exaggeration. That is not hyperbole. I feel I breathe better. My, my demeanor is different. I carry myself differently. Um, I just feel some kind of connection. And there's only one other place that, that I have felt that exact same thing. And we'll save that for another talk. But there is something about Paris that I feel I have not only emotional and sentimental connection, and this is my, like, like the woo-woo side of me. It, if there is such a thing as reincarnation and previous lives and future lives, I was definitely a French person. And I was somewhere in the nobility. I don't know where in the echelon. It's not like I was a queen or anything, but there's somewhere there. And so <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I'm walking through the streets. I'm like, yes, this, is, this must have been where I, you know, where I once upon a time I, I strolled and my servants did things and whatever happened. I happens. believe you. I, I, you have a regal bearing. So I, I believe you on that. <laughs> well, that's what my name means. Patricia means noble. Ah, uh, Sarah means princess. Did you it know? It does? That? It does. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. See? So there you go. Our names really, they define it. I, you know, I once, I think I might have told you this once on a tour, I had a guest who told me one day that she was a psychic and that she um, could read people's palms and she could read their auras and she could read like past lives. And she said to me at the end of spending whatever 10 days with me, she goes, you know, I've just been reading your aura every day. And I can tell you absolutely that you lived in ancient Rome. And that's why you feel such a connection here because you used to live here. And it was weird the way she said it. Cause what I recounted, it's like, that sounds like a bunch of crap. Right. But but actually, it, when she said it, it was spooky. It was like, oh, I think she's right. Like, that's the feeling I had the first time I went to Rome. It was like, oh, I'm home. Like, it feels, it's not even that it's exciting. It's like obvious. It's so comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Is that how you felt about Paris the first time you saw it? Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, we kind of, we hit the ground running. So we were, of course, you know, we're on a tour, right? It's with the students, we're with, with a company that kind of caters to the, the educational component of, of travel. And so we were hitting the ground pretty hard. And I do recall, you know, walking into Notre Dame for the first time. And there, there's a thing about travel, and I think this is true with, with most people. You, you read so much about these places. You see them in movies. You watch them on television. You watch the documentaries. You watch the travel shows, all of these things. And you build up um, this version of the city in your head, right? Like you, you think it's going to be like this, and you presume it's going to be like that. And all of the things that you've heard and other people who have traveled there who have told you, oh, it's like this or it's like that. So you, you have that in your head. You can't not have it. Um, but walking in, 
Olympic Cathedral for the first time and then hearing from our amazing guide, um, who actually is going to be one of our local guides on the tour. Uh, we have, been, we, we have uh, been very good friends for the past 20 something years, um, but I learned so much from him, but hearing these stories and making them come alive and thinking about the process of this creation that spanned centuries, right? To create this thing and then transformed again centuries later. And then now, as we know, with the, the damage that has happened because of the fire and the new care and love that's being projected into it, um, I was so taken aback. It was, it was really uh, a transformative moment for me to walk through the threshold and to be under the stone construction and structures and to see the statues and to feel the light coming through the stained glass windows and to feel that everybody in there with me, whether they were feeling the same thing with me or not, we were in this experience together. And to think that over, at that point, almost 850 years, that people have done more or less the same thing, to visit, to come, to either worship, to pay tribute, to honor somebody, to remember somebody, to ask for forgiveness, to ask or to, to offer things, all of those things. And it all just hit me, like all of those memories of all these other people hit me all at that same moment. And I was just shaken to the core. I mean, I was, I was sobbing, as my, my students will tell you, I was sobbing by the second pillar. So that was it. And that's, that's what got me, right? And it was this singular place that, that I had heard about for so long. And of course, my own background, right? My Catholic upbringing, all of that stuff that made it come to life. But then it just made me open my heart and my mind even more this city so then everything subsequent after that was just like yes yes please wow that's a that's a powerful experience and i mean i said i think sometimes when we build things up things that we've seen on tv we've heard about in our minds and then we go there sometimes it can be a letdown but it's always mm -hmm. amazing when it actually exceeds your expectations one thing to note though for people that are watching if you haven't been to paris in a while i was just in paris in june and all of the Ile de la Cité per, practically is a construction zone and you can't right. see anything. So please, if you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm excited about going to Paris so I can see the restructuring, the rebuilding of Notre Dame, there are high walls. They're probably 12 feet high that go all around the entire complex. You can barely see anything. So just be aware that that's going to be like that for some years and that that's not going to, unfortunately, that's not going to be a part of your sightseeing um, if you visit in the next few years. But, but that for us is actually part of the design, right? So yeah. this tour that we're going to be talking about, and we'll go into the details on, on Friday about it, but we intentionally designed it that way so that it isn't about these major monuments. So if you have, I mean, this kind of is, you've been to Paris before and you want to get to know it more intimately, right? Like, it's like if you, you know, went out on a first date with Paris and you're like, oh yeah, it's a really cool kind of kind of person and it's, it's fun and we can do all these things. It's so pretty and they're, they're so friendly. Oh, that's nice. But then now we're going in for, a second, third, and fourth date. And we're going to get to know the real, you know, more intimate and more kind of daily life kind of Paris and things that you might not necessarily have thought to experience or didn't even yeah. know you could experience in the city. 
Yeah, and well, and I think that that this is a really good opportunity with all the staycations that we're doing this year. Like I'm doing a Rome staycation in March. That it's the same concept. That I'm assuming people have seen the Colosseum and the Vatican Museum. If they haven't, I'll help them see those things. But that won't be with the group because really, when we think about our jobs as tour guides going forward, there's when I started 20 years ago, more than 22 years ago there was no Google. People didn't have smartphones. So the only information that they could access was whatever I had to say. Now you can go right. to a, a, you know the Louvre with a million different audio guides that you can find for free. You can Google every painting. You don't need a guide. You, I mean, it's better because the guide can tailor the tour to your interests and explain more about it. You can ask questions. But Information wise, I feel like the big sites are so well covered by travel journalists around the world that what what is the relevance of being a tour guide in the information age? And I think our relevance is to teach people how to actually live in those cities. How do people live? What is the culture? And it's also to take people to see things they didn't know they wanted to see. Um, for example, we can't go to Notre Dame a really great thing you can do is go see the Cathedral of Saint-Denis, which actually, when I was in architecture school, we did not study Notre Dame. Notre Dame was not, is not actually the best example of Gothic architecture. Uh, this uh, cathedral called Saint-Denis, which is close to Paris, is considered to be you know, a cut above that somehow. Chartres also, that's, a, that's another um, very famous cathedral. So it's, it's interesting to kind of You've heard about Notre Dame, maybe you haven't heard about Saint-Denis. So that's our job as guides now, I think. I think to keep our profession relevant, it's to know that stuff and to be able to say, hey, you know, let's let's dig deeper. Let's help you get to know this place the way we see it, the way we who are people who know this city almost like a local, how do we see it, right? And there's so many components to that, so many different facets, because again, what we get presented either via media or whatever, whatever you've learned in your textbook is a sliver of what France or Paris is all about, right? It's so much more complex than, than what we even imagine. Just the same thing would be true if anybody were talking about the United States. If somebody only knew LA from what you saw on, I don't know, CSI Los Angeles or whatever it is, that's a, that's a very specific kind of image, but the complexity that's there culturally, historically, um, you know, the same thing is true when you come to Paris, there's so much more depth to that. And it, it informs how we understand contemporary Paris, of course, because of that history. And so getting that, that component um, is really important to me as well, not just, not just getting away from the major monuments and seeing places that you might not have thought to see, but seeing them with a new perspective yeah. and adding an adding another piece of that that thread to the tapestry that makes that bigger picture right yeah so I'm here today talking with Trish Feaster one of my very best friends and co-conspirators on many many fronts uh, and we are discussing uh, the city of light today we're discussing Paris if you're watching today and you'd like to share with us your uh, first experience ever going to Paris the first thing you remember about Paris I think that would be a fun discussion uh, so you can put that into the comments and I'm, I am keeping track of the comments and if you have any questions for us about Paris if you're planning a trip and you need some advice please go ahead and and drop a, a comment there and I will uh, flip through those before we're we're done today. Um, so Trish, when I'm in Paris, I always have my thing that I do. You know, I think every city you go to that you become kind of a, a 
local in a temporary local. I mean, I've been to Paris enough times that I feel pretty much like I'm a quasi-local. But I, the way I do that, the way I feel like I'm a local mm -hmm. is I establish my own routine of sorts, the places I go and I do my thing. So I have kind of my thing that I do. I like to go out to this little place over by um, kind of near the Eiffel Tower uh, that serves crepes and cider. And it's like a little Breton place. It's really cute. I like to do that. And then, as you know, I like to go wander around Monoprix. And then I like to go get a baguette at the, the bakery and then a, and a bottle of rosé. And I like to walk out to the Champ de Mar and sit down and eat some cheese and bread and drink my rosé. So that's my little habit that I like uh, to do and take my watercolors maybe and do a little bit of painting. So that's, that's how I feel like a local. I just kind of have my thing that I do. What is your habit in Paris? How do you, how would you spend a day in Paris just to enjoy the city, not necessarily to be a tourist? Well, first, let me say that your itinerary for that, just getting, getting into your, your local vibe, I would honestly just do that every single day, right? Like just, just living, just being and sitting and being in the environment to me is sufficient enough. I could, I could do that honestly for eight days straight, not looking at any other sites and I would be content as I'll get out. But the other things that I do like to do for myself, um, especially when I have that enough of a breather moment is I like to go to this park um, at the Bouchemont, which is in the kind of Northeastern part of Paris. And it's this in immense park and it's very hilly boot like a, like a hill um you go you go up there and you wander around and it's massive and all you see are family i can't even i can't even think of more than 10 tourists i've ever seen when i'm walking around in through there it's the locals with their beautiful little scarves and their there's preschool children also wearing the scarves looking way more fashionable than i do and walking around and playing and skateboarding and sitting and having their picnics and then you get a view back on to the city of paris um it's, it's a little bit more distant but just the sense that i'm in this massive green space within a metropolitan city and I'm hanging out where all the other locals are hanging out too and just being in that moment. That is enough for me to just feel like uh, I'm, I'm back in my soul's home again. And then I have my pan au chocolat. <laughs> sit on the chairs and have my coffee and just watch the world go by. Yeah, I'm I'm on team uh, pano raison. Sorry, I mean mm. I'm I I do like a pan au chocolat on occasion, but I feel like something like it's hard. It's easy to get a pan au chocolat in other places that's pretty good, but it's really hard to get uh, a, a pan au raison that's really good outside of Paris. Well, to, to be honest, my my real true favorite um, and my my indulgence because I feel like there's a lot going on there and I could eat four in a day is a tarte pomme, an apple tart. Oh yeah, the those, chasson aux pommes. Don't they call it chasson aux pommes? Uh, th there are different ones. So you have a tarte aux pommes, you have chasson aux pommes, um, but I could just eat five in a row and, and be like, yes, this is justified. <laughs> remember that time? Okay, I'm going to go down memory lane. But remember the time that that we had we had a big disaster on a tour once. I got stuck in the Eurostar tunnel with my mm -hmm. family group, 
and yep. there was a fire in the tunnel. They sent the train back to London and we were stranded. Yep. We ended up having to spend an extra day in London and then taking a ferry. It was this huge disaster, but luckily Trish was on the ground in Paris and I called her and she helped me to get my group to see absolutely all of Paris in what, four hours? Yeah, that was, was intense. Because we had missed our, our an entire day of right. two days total. So the day and, we were- and, first, Yeah. Yeah. We Nobody were thought, I mean, it was just a situation. I mean, what, what can you do? There's a fire in the channel. You, you, gotta, you gotta make do, but you also gotta do what you promised. Yeah, yeah. So we were supposed to arrive in the morning in Paris. We would have had all day that one day and then the next day, the full day and then depart the following day. So we missed the two days. So we arrived late at night on the first or on what should have been our second day. So Trish organized a really nice dinner for us with steak and frites and all that. And then the next day we were supposed to leave in the morning to go to our next destination. And instead we had to do the Louvre. We had to do the historic Paris walk. We had to do all the activities that had been promised to the group in four hours, <laughs> which was hilarious. So Trish was like my black ops, like she had organized all of this stuff, you know, and so we had our guides doing one thing and then she and I ran off to get pastries and then we did a pastry tasting in the middle of the day. And then I did my historic Paris lecture and I walked everybody around to Notre Dame and it was absolutely hectic and ridiculous, but Oh, and then I had to go pick up the sandwiches for everybody. Yes, then we had to, well, we had to go yeah. pick up sandwiches while everybody was in the Louvre with the local guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you and I, didn't we go on like the Ferris wheel or something? <laughs> yes, we did. We that did. was so much fun. I love that. So if you guys are ever in Paris in the summer, um, you'll see in the Tuileries Gardens, they have set up like a summer carnival every year, right? And they've got the, they've got a Ferris wheel. I always mix those those names up. Ferris wheel is not the merry go merry go round goes like this. Ferris wheel goes like this, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. So we, there's a Ferris wheel which is gigantic, and then they have these swinging, flying things. Remember that the pink, yeah, the pink bucket thingies that were just hanging and like our feet are dangling. Yeah. 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 Oh, the swing. So the we swing. did that. Yeah. That was really fun. We're gonna have to do that again this summer. I think that there, sounds why fun. Why not? My kids have never done that, actually. They've only been to Paris once, and uh, we just, yeah, we were, we didn't have the opportunity. We had other <laughs> stuff. Well, we had a pack of four kids, and I was just like, I'm not taking four kids right. to the gardens. We went to Disneyland instead. <laughs> well, there you go. You can always head out to, yeah, Disneyland Paris. One thing that you and I will need to do with the boys, too, this is something that Jesse Blackwood, our other colleague, he invited. So I think this this had to have been after I saw you. But we did the whole we actually did the carnival part, right? So we did the whole, you know, shoot water the balloons, you fill them up with the 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 gun of water. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking like a French person that can't can't translate to English. The gun of water. <laughs> water gun. <laughs> water gun. You know the water gun and then it blows up the balloon and then whatever you do that. But then they also have this gigantic human bubble thing remember the bubble boy like if you yeah. had like it was that and you climb into it and they zip it up and it's in like a little pond of water and you have to try to stand and move around and like get to the other side or whatever so jesse and i did that that was one of the most hilarious things i burned a thousand <laughs> calories in seven minutes <laughs> see that's how you can eat all the taco foam that i eat is just go on that thing yeah, well, that's true. And, you know, there, there's a reason that French women, there, there was that book, French women don't get fat. 
And mm -hmm. I had that book. It's actually very true. I mean, the thing about it is that we look at, at them with their beautiful legs and we go, wow, how do they eat 10 courses and foie gras and all the cheese that they want and bread and look like that? It's because you walk everywhere. It's like a natural gym. You'll put on, you'll walk 15 miles a day when you're in Paris easily, I think, probably more, don't you suppose? Yeah. And it's easy to do. There's just so much beauty everywhere that you go. It's, it's a gorgeous, it's an aesthetically gorgeous city, regardless of which district you're in. I mean, even if you feel like, oh, I'm not sure about this, because there are parts like that. Let's admit that every metropolitan city, LA, New York, San Francisco, we, they've all got the places where you're like, well, that's not necessarily the prettiest. But the the way that the architecture works together and the character that each neighborhood has, I find such beauty and intrigue in all of that. I could just wander forever. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's one of the beauties of Paris for me is that um, there's a there's a word for it, flaneur. Have you heard that word before? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a whole book written about it too, just the beauty of wandering aimlessly. And I love that about Paris. I honestly don't, don't try to to walk out the front door and just have a stroll and uh, see where the day takes me. Cause sometimes it'll take me to a nice little bistro. Sometimes I'll find a museum I'd never seen. Sometimes I'll just find a really pretty corner and I'll have my sketchbook and I'll just sit down for a few minutes and, and draw, you know, there's just so much about Paris. That's really, I mean, yeah, there's, there's no way to waste a day in Paris. There's so many different directions a day can take you, but that, that leads me to a question. What is your favorite arrondissement? And actually, why don't you tell people what an arrondissement is? So an arrondissement is simply a district. And Paris is, is essentially 20 different districts. And if you start on the Ile Saint-Louis and kind of just off of that onto the, I'll say mainland, off of the rivers, you have district one. And then if you go north of that, it's two. And then if you go just slightly northeast, it's three. And then you come down and it's four. And it goes in a spiral like this until you get all the way out to the 20th. And I. You know, my mood changes. I don't, I, unless I'm working, like right, a fixed tour and this, you know, that we stay at that hotel or whatever. If I'm there on my own, I do change it up quite a bit. So in terms of convenience, anywhere in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, ninth, and I really like to stay in because it's, for, for me, it's, it's near the things that I want to be going to and experiencing. And that's typically where it's, and, and there's kind of like, fun edginess to, um, and like contemporary modernity that's in the 9th and 10th that I like that isn't necessarily there in the second, it's there in a different way. But to explore, one of my favorite places now is the 13th, which is kind of, um, if, you, if you imagine the Seine River, right? And it, it essentially, when it cuts through Paris, it's running from east to west. Um, and if you're, if you're sitting in a boat and you're floating down the river, uh, with the current, then the left side, that's why you have the left bank. And then the right side, you have the right bank. Right side is essentially the north of the city is the right bank. And the south side of the city is the left bank. That's the easiest way to think of it. So if you go east and you go along that river, um, just on the left bank is the 13th. And there you can find the Francois Mitterrand Library gorgeous, gorgeously designed library um, with these huge cascading steps that go down essentially to the edge of the water. Right all along there 
years and years ago, there was like a single boat called the Bateau Phare, and it was essentially a nightclub on a boat. And they had great food, great drinks, fantastic music. Now, because of all of the stuff that's happened along um, with what happened uh, about 10, 10 or so years ago with Paris Plage, maybe 15 years ago, uh, with all the new development that they've done um, with the Rive de Seine, which is all of the, um, there's like pop-up venues, there's a Tai Chi garden, there's a yoga area, there's a rock climbing thing. All of this is all along the river. But with that, now we have even more of those kind of boats that cater to, you know, different kinds of cuisines or they might be fun bars or things like that. But in the 13th, there's been so much new development there uh, and the contemporary architecture scene as well as contemporary street art is massive in that district. It, it really is a kind of the new artist haven. And I just love exploring that. Plus there's so much ethnic diversity there too that yeah. you get this whole range of cuisine in such a small space that you won't necessarily find elsewhere in the city. Yeah, we rented a house actually in the 13th when I took the kids a couple of years ago, an actual mm. freestanding house. And wow. uh, yeah, with a garden, which actually was kind of a ramshackle house, but the the neighborhood was definitely very diverse. I mean, there it was, uh, you see, a, a you don't see so many white French people as you would elsewhere in France or in Paris. And it definitely has a different flavor, but it is a very um, modern and kind of exciting neighborhood, I think, that, that whole zone. So but 12 I, years ago, I mean, it was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure this is the place where you want to hang out. And it was, it was inexpensive housing. It, I mean, not, not like, um, uh, like subsidized housing. It wasn't that, but it just, it wasn't, it wasn't elegant. There wasn't, there wasn't any character or real charm, at least right along the river there. But now with all of that new development, it's a, it's a whole other world in a city. Yeah, and I find that whole um, eastern end of town in general um, up to Bercy, I think that that area is just not an area that tourists go. And I find that mm -hmm. you just see far more local Parisian people doing their thing in mm -hmm. on the east end of town, I think. And I really like that. I mean, the area around um, Vincent, the area, you know, that's where you take the, the train out to Disneyland. There's a castle out there. That's a cute little neighborhood. Bercy mm -hmm. is, is really fun. Uh, there's a whole, they took what the stables or something like that. And they turned it into like a kind of cool shopping mall thing. There's, there's just a lot going on that feels, what I think is nice about the 13th and that Eastern end is that it doesn't have that sort of like, storybook look you think of Paris having. It's a little bit more contemporary, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's important to understand those aspects, those different facets of a city, because it isn't just this fairy tale image or a romanticized notion that we have, right? All the yeah. whatever, whatever the kiddos are showing you these days on Instagram, they're going there because somebody told them to, right? It's like, yeah. oh, we must do this obligatory pose in front of the thingy and, and do Please. that city is so much more than an Instagram shot. And that I think is, is the, the mission that we have is to get away from the cliches. Cause I think that we spend a lot of time thinking about the cliches and that's why tourism has a bad rap, you know, because tourism is just that it's going to see cliches and it's doing the things that are cliche, but we really like doing things that are not. So for me that my favorite district, I'm going to go the opposite end of the, um, the city. I like the 15th and the 15th, I think is fun because it's 
um, got all the charm of the areas that are kind of more touristed and populous, but um, it's a little bit more laid back, a little bit more local, a little bit more funky. Um, and yeah, I just, I like it because it feels very residential and very chill. And that's the thing I like about finding my place in a city is just finding that zone that is close to all the stuff you want to see, but is just a little outside of the action enough so that there are real normal people who live there. You can go and if you have your cup of coffee, there's going to be a bunch of people who live in apartments all around there. You're going to go find that restaurant where after you eat there a few times, they're going to remember you. Um, so that's my favorite district. It's a little more bougie though than, than the 13th. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little bougie. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with being bougie. Sorry. <laughs> I like a little bougie every now and again. Yeah, no, you, you can't be all, I don't think that you can be all one thing. You need a, you need a little, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Like you got to spice it up. It's like any meal, right? If you're, if it's all only salt and you're like, oh, well, that ain't good. You got to change it up and you got to add a little zhuzh, boom, boom, boom. Like that. Yeah. Well, and I did very much do kind of the, the most, um, in your face kind of touristic thing ever when I was in Paris in June, because there was nobody in Paris in June. I mean, June, June was like completely empty. And I got a hotel room on, uh, not Ile de la Cité, but the one behind it. I, I'm Ile Saint-Louis. Ile Saint-Louis. I got a, a room at the most beautiful little hotel on Ile Saint-Louis. I dreamed of staying on Ile Saint-Louis like my whole life, because every time I go on that cruise down the Seine, and it mm. pulls around Ile Saint-Louis. There's yeah. townhouses there that have like these big glass mansard roofs. And every time I pass them, I'm like, that's where I'm going to live someday. I don't know what, how I'm going to do it. <laughs> that's where I want to live. So I've always had this fantasy of, of having my art studio on Ile Saint-Louis. So I got to live that fantasy uh, last summer. And I really enjoyed it. I think Ile Saint-Louis is just gorgeous. But I have to say, I think I like the 13th better. Uh, because Ile Saint-Louis is really charming, but it is, and it, it does have this really cute, cozy feeling, but I sort of like slightly more middle-class neighborhoods. I mean, I think it's a lot more fun to be in areas where there's kids playing and, yeah. you know, grandma's out with their shopping and there's a monoprix, you know, it's like, I don't really right. like being so far away from the monoprix. Well, and that's the other thing too, like you just said, like seeing families out and about doing their thing, when you can get off and out into those neighborhoods and June, maybe not so much for us because, well, people will still kind of be in school, but I love like when you're walking down the street, you're just, you're, you're being a flaneur and you're strolling through and maybe the, the, the primary school is, you know, they're on their, their lunch break or their, their recess break. And you can hear all of that chatter and that high pitched laughter coming from the kids. And you just feel like, yeah, like, come on, this is, this is a, a livable, living, thriving city. And you, you don't get that if you're just strictly looking at the monuments and all of those things. You, you have got to get into the neighborhoods and, and get a, a feel of it. Yeah. So what is your favorite offbeat site? And I'll start by telling you mine. My favorite bizarro offbeat site, I love the Sewer Museum. I think the Sewer Museum... <laughs> is fabulous. It is. It's so interesting. I mean, it is. It's fascinating. 
it's fascinating and it's so beautifully explained. And, you know, I always remember that how they, they explain how, like, if somebody drops their wedding ring into their toilet accidentally, like how long it takes for it to get down to the sewer so they can actually retrieve it. Like, oh my gosh, a fascinating, you'd never think a sewer tour would be interesting, but they make it really interesting. So that's my top offbeat site is the sewer museum. So you, what do you think? You go. Man, okay, this is throwing me for a loop because I have to think. Now I'm like visually going through the city. What is something quirky that I love to do? Uh, Tuileries Gardens. I mean, you love that. Yeah, I do, but I wouldn't say that that's quirky. One of my favorite, actually, one of my favorite things to do is to go on Line 6. So the Metro, when most of us think of the Metro, we think of underground, right? But in Paris, there are definitely areas where you have above ground tracks. Um, and sometimes they afford you really great views, sometimes not so much. But if you go on line six, and if you go from, let's say that you start from uh, the Arc de Triomphe, right? So Charles de Gaulle Etoile, you can take line six and head towards destination nation, right? Because you, always, you yeah. always decide which direction you're going by the name of the end point. So nation or nation, you go that direction. Well, you have no other alternative because Charles de Gaulle Etoile for line six, that's the other end point. Um, but you head over there and it takes you for a very large portion of it. You are not only above ground, but you're on elevated tracks. So you get to cross the Seine with the view of the Eiffel Tower. And, and it's, it's like blinking, you miss it. It's like four seconds long, maybe, as you're coming across that. And that always is just so striking to me. I just feel so like <gasps> taken aback by the beauty of the city. But then you keep going along and you go from one stop to the next, to the next, to the next. And to have like very close view of such striking architecture and to see it at a level that you don't normally do, right? Because you're normally looking at it from the ground, looking up at these buildings and appreciating it in that way. But as you're passing by them, you get to see them like, here, I'm looking at the seventh floor of something, you know, which is also unusual because we don't really have that many high floors, uh, you know, high buildings in the, the city proper. But you're looking at that and the details that you get to see. And then all of a sudden you see these, these angled boulevards that are leading off this direction and that direction. And then all of a sudden you get this other view of a monument. I love doing that. And it is well worth, you know, the cost of a metro ticket yeah. to do that. It's a buck 50 and you get, you get a joyride yeah. through town. That's the one that passes through Grinnell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's really fun. Uh, and you get, you do, I've actually got lots of shots of the Eiffel Tower from that line. Um, so what about like an underappreciated site? Maybe something that's bigger, it's underappreciated. I'll give you my example that I'm thinking of. I have two underappreciated sites actually. Um, one is the Opera Garnier. I think a lot of people don't put that at the top of their list. And I think that's really well worth a, a visit to actually I do the tour. Yeah. The other one that I would say is an underappreciated site is the Montparnasse Tower, because everybody wants to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, which personally, I think going to the top of the Eiffel Tower is nightmarish. I hate it. It's very claustrophobic. But if you go to the top of the Montparnasse Tower, it's huge. You have this, this really big space you can move around. You can take tons of pictures. You're not in a hurry. There's no crush. And there's almost never a line. So those are my two sort of underappreciated big sites. What about you? And it, it's funny that you picked that. I do love the Montparnasse Tower and I love that it's just like elevator ride and then boom, there you go. But I will say as a person who is uh, not as vertically endowed as some other people, 
for me, it is a little bit of a challenge because they, they have a glass barrier, which is so you can see through it, but it's just right at my sight line where I'm like, <laughs> I try to look over it. But for, but I am shorter than the average person. So for the other average people, you know, average and no, above. No, you're not. You're not shorter. Person. Your average is just, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> But I do love it up there and I love watching sunset and I love that I can get the shot of the Eiffel Tower from up there. Yeah, you know? it's a beautiful shot. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. So are there any other undervalued big sites that you you think are worth people's time? Under Well, I don't know that it's undervalued. I think people just maybe don't take enough time to budget it into their schedule to do that. But the um, Marmotan Museum, uh, where you can see works from, um, oh my God, why is my brain waking up? Claude Monet. So it's a, it's a home essentially, but it, it is a museum and it's spectacular and it takes effort to get there, right? So there's no, there's no metro line that drops you off right there. Kind of nearby metro line, but you're still gonna walk another 15 minutes to get to the actual museum. You could take several different buses there, but you have to know what you're doing, that kind of thing. So you can always take a taxi or an Uber, but I think people don't put enough emphasis on that. I think one one thing that, um, and things have changed because of COVID, right? So now with the, the Paris Museum Pass, um, you still have to actually have reservations for everything at this point. So it's not it's not as easy to use anymore. It doesn't necessarily hold the same value, but you, you have to schedule your visits. But when that was in place, the Marmotan, because it's a private museum, was not included in that, right? So it's the, the non-private museum versus the state-owned or the city-owned municipal museums that you could get into very easily. But because there's a cost associated with the Marmotan Museum, people were like, well, I'll go look at the free thing instead, right? I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go and, and, and put that in because I don't have to pay anything additional. But it's so well worth it. And the, the amount of work that's in there and the way that they've kind of curated that and the information that goes along with it, uh, it's, it's so well worth your time. And if you can't get out to Giverny, right? If you're not gonna do that extra trip to go out to his actual home, then that's the next best place where you can really indulge in and soak up all of his fantastic work. That is a very, very good tip. And you mentioned something that I love. And you know, the thing is we can't, with these museum passes, we can't really make a judgment call on the rest of the year by right now, because right now right. I think things are kind of at their worst. So I would bet you by summertime, the museum passes are going to be use, usable again. But that has always been my favorite way to enjoy Paris is to get the museum pass for three days. Because I mean, mm -hmm. you have to add it up. You have to do the math and make sure it's going to be worth it. But what I love about the museum pass is that it includes all these totally random little museums and sometimes if I have a museum pass in my pocket, I'll just pop in, you know, it's like a place yep. that I wouldn't pay for. If I were walking by and I saw, you know, some random little museum, I wouldn't just go in and say, oh yeah, I'm going to spend five euros on this. It's just fun when you've got that pass because it's like powered. It's like, oh, I can go in for free. So I may as well. So I, I would encourage people, if you're planning a trip to Paris, just keep tabs on that, that whole scheme because I love, love, love the Paris Museum Pass. Mm -hmm. And I think we are planning to include that in the tour, aren't we? And you know, one of the other places, now that I'm thinking of like kind of off the beat quirky, I wouldn't necessarily go there if I didn't know about it or I didn't stumble upon it or whatever, but it's so well worth the visit, especially if you like transportation or engineering or anything about design and building, any of that stuff. Oh God, now I have two, I have so many things. Um, 
two different two different places. Let's go talk about buildings. So the Museum of Architecture. Chukadera. I've never so been there. You're looking there. at Can the Eiffel Tower and you look back and you look at um what you are doing life wrong. I know, obviously. I mean, I'm an architect you who's and I never been there. to the Architecture Museum um, in Paris. It's so good. It's so so well done, and it's essentially about our there's there's architectural structures like elements and components of different gothic buildings that they actually have you know those components and then other and moving all throughout history so all the way through contemporary stuff and they have this really great display about one of the longest I, I want to say it's a suspension bridge I'm not sure that that's exactly true but one that was created in, in central France and, and just to learn about all of that stuff is so cool and there are some really great views through the windows back onto the Eiffel Tower. And nobody, there's nobody ever in there because nobody goes, it's me. It's me huh. and then the docent, that's it. I like the costume museum it. at the Louvre. Have you been to the costume museum at the Louvre, the, the fashion museum? Yes. Yeah, I have a thing, I have a thing for fashion. So actually I'm going to take my Florence group to a textile museum and to the fashion museum in Florence because I love that stuff so much. But what's fun is when you find a quirky thing that you like to see, what you're saying is exactly correct. You get usually to have the museum entirely to yourself. You know, mm -hmm. there's always, and, and you get to learn about things from a very different point of view and you can take your time with the exhibits and the docents are always happy to have something to do. So yeah, those super quirky museums are worth it. You said you had another one? Yeah, so the other one, again, if you're into design, engineering, anything like that, is the museum, uh, it's called Art et Métier. So art and, arts and crafts, essentially, but not crafts like handicrafts, like wood crafting or you know, construction with iron, that kind of thing. And it's, it's affiliated with the design school, but you go in and the first thing that you see, even before you go in, is actually a mini Statue of Liberty. And yeah. why on earth would we have that? So we, we all, well, maybe we don't all know, but the inner workings of the Statue of Liberty, right? All of the iron that is the skeletal frame of her was designed by Gustav Eiffel. And so we, we actually have replicas, miniature replicas, several throughout Paris. And you can find them on the Seine. There is a little tiny, tiny island where you can see one that's there. There is one in Luxembourg Gardens. And then there are at least two at this museum, one that's outside and one that's inside. But everything about um, this museum, again, has to do with transportation or construction of things. So you can see um, old, train carriages from turn of the century or 1800s, you see a, a, a plane, an old, like, I don't even know like what, what those are called when they have the two, the two thingies that go, the two wings that go off onto the side, you know, it almost looks like they're like, well, like the Wright brothers era, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you've got things that talk about the Metro. You have old, like first some original computers, like the old Commodore, whatever. Um, and all kinds of different things that are just essentially the stuff that was generated from a person's brain, right? Like this lived inside somebody's brain. I want to see the museum of Trisha's brain. <laughs> it's fascinating. Maybe like like being John Malkovich. Did you, did you ever watch? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It would totally be like that. <laughs> Yeah, you and I both, I think if, if we had museums of our brains, they would be like 
fun houses. Like people would never be able to get out. <laughs> I know. They're like, Travis, please let me out, please. But then also you'd be like, whoa, that's so fun. <laughs> well, we always have fun. So speaking of having fun with you, tell me what is the thing we have planned for the staycation that you are looking forward to most? Okay. Um, most, I, I don't know that it's going to be the thing that I'm looking forward to the most, but the thing that I'm, one thing that I'm really excited about is learning from Julian Brown. So Julian, we'll, we'll introduce you guys to him officially on Wednesday, but he has his PhD in um, colonial era art. And so we, what we're devising is a colonial, historical colonial component that deals with art and culture. And so we'll be visiting the Institute of the Arab World and combining that with a visit to the Grand Mosque of Paris. So that, I'm, I'm just so eager to be with him and learn from his brain, right? Go inside his brain and see the, the inner workings of that and how that relates to contemporary French society. What all of these things that have transpired since the colonial era, how that has affected contemporary interactions and what that means for the society, what it means for culture. And then in addition to that, getting to understand the artistic component that has been brought to France because of its colonial connection. Julian, by the way, I, I just have so much respect for. He is a magical creature and I, he and I have such great conversations. He's a guide collective member, but he's also just a good friend. And, and really, I would say one of the senior guides, seen more senior than me that I respect so much. And I think we all can learn so much from him. So yeah, I, I find it's a coup that we have Julian uh, collaborating mm -hmm. with us on uh, this Paris itinerary because he is really an amazing, amazing teacher. So that's a great opportunity that we have to learn from him. So I would- And I know he's excited about it too. You know, we've, we've been chatting as we've been planning all of this and, and I can hear the enthusiasm and the excitement in his voice. And he did mention to me some things where, um, some other surprises, right? We don't want to give away everything that we're going to be doing. Um, but he did mention some places where, I mean, I just didn't even know about them. And I, and I think, I wouldn't say that I am anywhere near being, you know, like the expert on Paris. I just have a great love for it. And I've explored it a lot over the last 22 years. But um, he was mentioning something like, oh my God, that is so perfect. That dovetails so well with this, this, historical and educational component that we want to put into our tour. And I'm, I'm just so fired up and excited to, to share that and to learn from him. Yeah, I mean, it's, and this is the thing that's lucky is we have such amazing colleagues that are so far and above, like they're, I mean, it's like taking a little college, mini college course, you know, you're so lucky yeah. to be spending time with them. I think that the approach, it may sound weird to some people, the approach of wanting to spend a, a day or a morning exploring the, um, the heritage of France with respect to colonialism. But, you know, because I think when we think about colonialism, we think, the American colonies, we think of the British and the British, how they're kind of a melting pot society because they had all these colonies around the world. I think we just, in our imaginations, we associate that world colonialism much more with England than we do with France. But France, modern France is such a patchwork quilt of different cultures because they colonize so many different places. I mean, there, there's a huge Algerian population, for example, North Africa, most of North Africa speaks French. 
Um, the, you go to Southeast Asia, you know, and there's a huge legacy of uh, French culture in Southeast Asia as well. And I think we forget about that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's an, it is important to understand that. So when, you know, when, as you mentioned at the beginning, at the top of the program, uh, there are some people who have traveled to Paris or to, to France in general and who have come home with maybe not the most favorable perspective. Oh, the French are this, or they're so rude, or they're this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. And one, please don't ever judge an entire country on a single interaction, right? Like that's just not, that's just not how we travel, right? That, that's the whole point of you going to some other places to, to understand these different perspectives. But the other thing about that too, is that it is complex, right? There, there's all different kinds of things that inform somebody's um, daily interactions and, and all of that. And if you understand that, if you can understand the historical components that shape somebody's perspective or a society's perspective, and if you understand the rules, which in France is essentially, there's kind of a hierarchy, right? And you as the visitor, I'm sorry, you're the lowly one. And so you need to step into the space, essentially being more gracious and saying, hello, sir please, may I do this? You know, and if, if you understand, like, this is step one, say hello. This is step two, say excuse me. This is step three, then ask your question. If you understand all of those things, then everything opens up for you. It becomes a whole other ball game because you now know the rules, right? Yeah, well, and I have a little story that I want to tell you about that exact thing because the I think that I, I've gotten that before in the past where people in France have been really specifically rude to me. And I'm like, oh, these people are, I don't want to be in France. France is so snooty. I don't like the attitude, but it was all about me because I didn't speak any French. And, you know, you bumble along and you try your best. But the, the thing about it is that you have to flip positions. If you were walking down the street in your own hometown and somebody came up to you speaking Swahili, and insistently speaking to you a language you don't understand slower and louder and louder and slower, like you'd get kind of pissed and you'd be like, I don't understand you, please stop trying. Don't you speak English? <laughs> You're in my country. Why are you trying to speak Swahili to me? You know, and so you have to kind of flip the situation a little bit. And it's so easy in France to be nice. It is so easy to actually get people to interact with you. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, smile, which is just to, to use your use the, the manners you would have with your grandmother. Say please and thank you. And above all, there is a whole lot of power behind bonjour. Like mm. even if that's all you know is bonjour, that is enough because people in France want you to greet them. If you make eye contact, you need to say bonjour. And the example I have is I had a group, my very first year I was guiding, I was in Paris with a, a week-long Paris tour. And about halfway through the, the week, the woman who was serving the coffee at breakfast came over and was speaking to me and to our local guide because they were pissed that our group was so rude. And I'm like, hmm. our group, what? They're, not, they're a bunch of really nice people. What do you mean? She was almost in tears because nobody greeted her in the morning. They would yeah. sit down and they would say coffee or, you know, whatever. They wouldn't even attempt French. 
And I learned such a big lesson. I was embarrassed that I had not mentioned that to the group, that I had not spoken to the group about that earlier, about using your manners and treating everybody from the person who cleans the bathroom up to the president of France. <laughs> you treat them all the same. That's really important in their culture. And um, so I got into the habit of, of telling this story every time I took a group to France to just kick off the tour that way. Say, look, if you want to make a good impression. It's so easy. You look somebody in the eye. We as Americans don't like to look people in the eye. We just don't look. I mean, I go to Target and I try to get out of there without making eye contact or speaking to anybody. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not the only one. And so I, that's the thing is you go and you make eye contact and you make meaningful eye con contact and say, bonjour, madame, for the person who's serving you coffee before you ask for anything. Bonjour, madame. And so the last time I was in Paris, I had done this big lecture. I was with a family group. So of course with the kids, I really wanted to make sure they understood that. And they, every single one, when they would come down in the morning would say, bonjour, madame, ça va? And then je voudrais un café. You know, I, I taught them how to ask for a coffee properly. This woman was in tears at the end of Aww. our stage. She came up and gave me a big hug. And she said, I just wanted to tell you how I never had an entire group of people staying at the hotel show me so much kindness. So it's so easy. It's so easy to, and I mean, to be hugged by a Parisian, mm. <laughs> like it's so easy to, to show kindness and respect. And we just, it's just not part of the, the way they like that expressed is not part of our daily um, behavior right. here in the U S right. Maybe in the South, right. maybe in, you know, Louisiana, it's different. I don't know. Well, and I think it's just a matter of dignity. Right. I mean, for anybody, I mean, b besides the fact that this is kind of culturally ingrained into the French, that you do, you initiate that dialogue, you, you greet somebody and, and that's how you do. You don't just go into your question, but also just the basic notion of human dignity. Somebody is working there and providing a service and got up way earlier than you did to prepare all of that stuff, to line all of that up, to have it ready for you so that you can start your day in, in a, you know, with full of your 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 baguettes or your croissant or your coffee or whatever it is and just a little dignity you know yep. and all, all you need to do is just to greet them yep and say please and thank you bonjour merci i mean it's really there's not a whole lot more to it so just being yeah. kind will get you everywhere in france and i will bet you if you've had a bad experience in france but you go back with this attitude this idea that i'm going to look everybody in the eye i'm going to greet everybody i'm going to treat everybody like they're my grandma you know you're going to have a very different experience mm -hmm. um, so i can't believe that we passed an hour already how is that <laughs> you and i just time flies when you and i have fun I know when you and I talk, it's just like, I thought we just like signed on and now I, I heard your alarm and I'm realizing, oh crap, we're out of time. Okay. Well, Did we um, have a chance to just kind of scroll through some of the comments very quickly. Yeah, we can scroll through comments. Also, I just wanted to say, if you're watching, if you're still with us and you're watching, um, you can even in the replay, put comments into uh, the Facebook feed here and we will respond afterwards. We can type out answers afterwards. Totally. Go ahead. If you want to go ahead and respond to, to questions. And well, well, first of all, Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. So glad you guys are here. And I have some of my former tour members who are watching as well. So shout out to Kathy. Thank you so much for the love. And um, I think there were, oh, Kathy did mention that she went out to a jazz club in Paris. And I love doing that. I, I love it, love it, love it. There's are a we lot doing of really that? great. Well, 
can you please not give away all of the secrets? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was saying you and I. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. You and I are doing that. So no, I mean it's not. I, it's not going to be something that I necessarily include in the tour. But you know, we're going to have free time too. We're not scheduling every minute of the day for you guys when you're when you're with us. Um, we want you guys to have that that component, so you're getting um, deeper levels of the city. But also, you need to be able to explore on your own. You need to craft and customize your own experience in those ways. But what if we just say, "Hey, we're heading out to the jazz club. Who wants to go?" Do, 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 do. I mean, why would you say no? It might, it might be preceded by, you know, some cure or a couple bottles of champagne. Who knows? Oh, the cure is totally happening. And if the, for those of you guys who don't know that, well, that's my drink. I'm a lightweight, as as many of you might know if you've seen me on other stuff where. One yes, sip and it's like I'm red as a, a strawberry, but um, here is, is that's my jam. It's a little bit of white wine and some cassis. Okay. So or I'd like to propose it. then tomorrow night's cooking uh, class, Cucina Quarantena, should be um, Cucina Quarantena Ubriaca. Um, uh, <laughs> Ubriaca <Yes>. Cucina <laughs> Quarantena. So we'll have totally a little drinky poo before we start cooking, and that'll be a lot more fun. Let's do it that way. Okay, but then you might have to do a lot of the talking because at that point, then I might be like burning myself because I don't can't like feel my fingers because whatever. So. <laughs> you, I mean, we're, it's, it's going to have to be like a, a, a two-way kind of. Well, dang, we, we did this wrong. We shouldn't have done coffee chat for Paris. We, we should have done um, drunken chat for Paris. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean that that can't happen later in the week too. Okay, sure. All, all of them can cool. be drunk in Paris, whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. except my mom is watching. Shoot, sorry, mom. I mean, I'm a good girl. She is. There you go. All of these things I'm saying, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about her. <laughs> yeah, mom. I'll. I'll I promise I'll be on my best behavior. Um, Sarah, there's a question. Sarah, could you please spell out the name of her hidden museum? Oh, Marmotan, M-A-R-M-O-T-T-A-N. But I'll put that in the chat feed too, so you guys can check that out. Fantastic place, I love it. Um, and some of you have gone there as well. Um, people talking about going to the Orangerie. Yeah, I love that. I love that space. And it's, that was purpose design, you know? They actually had to bring in, through is through the ceiling essentially the the, the massive wall work uh, or paintings that they have along the the, the oval shaped walls um, with Claude Monet's work fantastic space uh, yeah but we'll go through some of these comments a little bit later and answer them more thoroughly yeah and I want to propose something I'm going to spring something on you Trish um, mm. I think you and I should work on a um, guide to Paris, like a, a piece that can go up on both of our websites, like a mini guidebook. Yeah. I think, I think that we, we are, have a lot to offer people. Yes. As we are many years experienced travel journalists, I think that would be really fun to have Trish and Sarah's Paris recommendations. Cause I'm sure you guys all want to know where do we like to eat? Where do we like to stay? What do we like to do? Mm -hmm. We need to write that down. Yeah. Don't you we think? will. We yeah, because we know that not everybody's going to be able to come on, on this tour. And so if you ever travel there on your own, you know, take advantage of our, our expertise in that way. And we're happy to help you out and connect you with some of our favorite locals, you know, who are, are working really hard. That's the other thing I think about being able to, to come to Paris and experience it in the way that we're intending to, yeah. um, is to connect with kind of mom and pop places, smaller businesses that are not, you know, conglomerate chain franchise kinds of things the pandemic has hit everybody really really hard 
And uh, I hope that we can find an opportunity to um, get more connected with smaller communities, with local cultures, with, with you know, those families that, that need the help um, desperately via tourism and, and to, to get to understand them in, in a new way. Yes, absolutely. On the flip side, Trish and I both really are um, passionate about Monoprix. <laughs> well, that, yeah. Monoprix I mean, is like, French how, Target. It's like, how can you, it is. And how can you hate Target? You just can't. I mean, you might not be a fan of Walmart. And I won't judge that. That's up to you. But like, you can't hate on Target. So you can't hate on Monoprix. Well, and this is the thing. I don't think people understand, like outside of the US, the, the way at least me and you, but I think women in general love random shopping Target. And yeah, Monoprix is the only place I found outside of the United States that you can go and you can have that delightful experience of random shopping. I love shopping Monoprix. Oh, by the way, complete aside, um, when you're planning, when you go to Paris, my favorite time to go to Paris, I know everybody says April in Paris or what have you. I love going in January or July because that's sale month. Soldes, S-O-L-D-E-S, my favorite Uh, word mm -hmm. in French, and I'm not pronouncing it right, but I love it. Uh, because they progressively discount everything throughout the month. And it's just super, super fun. <laughs> I like shopping. Not a shopping, tour, not a shopping tour, though. But yes, no, it's not a I shopping mean, tour, you, but you're I'm, just being smart about what's being made available to you. Yes, you know, I do enjoy shopping. And uh, my favorite time to shop is then. I will not shop with other people unless you buy me a, a glass of wine, then maybe I will consider shopping. I'll, I can. <laughs> You and I shopping together is, is the most fun. So, and especially yeah, Paris sales. I do love that when we get to shop together. So, Bob Bene, all right. We have been online for quite a long time. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. But just to recap the schedule, for those of you that are watching, tomorrow we're going to have drunken cucina quarantena. We're going to make some crepes. Maybe we'll try burning down our kitchens with a little bit of uh, crepe Suzette or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, and then the no, next I'm not, day, I'm not doing a flame. I can't do that, man. I, oh, honest to God, like I would, I would make the house blow up, but I will, I will have wine or some kind of drinky poo. I'm definitely bringing cheese for oh, sure. Geez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk a little bit during our, our Cucina Quarantena lesson tomorrow about French wines, how to pick a good French wine and about cheeses. I think that's a good idea. That'll just yep. give me a reason to have to go spend some money at the cheese counter today. So Cheese, please. Cheese, please. And then we're going to have um, a, the, uh, remind me, Wednesday is Julian, right? Wednesday is Julian. Thursday is going to be Vero and Nina. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a roundtable type of thing. And then Friday will be the slideshow. Slideshow. And when we will be back, uh, Trish and I together to show you all of the things we like, but you'll have visuals, not just our fake backgrounds. So. All right, y'all. Merci beaucoup for joining us uh, this morning for our coffee chat, and we'll see you the rest of the week. I'm going to do something new this week with all of the content that we are producing. Everything that we're doing this week, I'm going, I'm recording, and I'm going to upload it to YouTube after this. So if you had a stall in the video, or if you wanted to rewatch it later, it will be posted on my YouTube page, and then that way you can easily enjoy it again in the future. All right, we'll see you again tomorrow. Merci. Au revoir.